happy Wednesday, y'all. Welcome back to Tay Learning. I'm Danny, And I'm Olivia, and we are your co-hosts. Indeed, we are Olivia, and we had a lot of fun last week talking about album openers. Yes, it's always fun to compare our personal opinions because we both love Taylor Swift so much, but I think it's so interesting that we have so many different tastes between us. We do. And that's why I think it's really good to do a little breakup by talking about stuff that is a little bit less opinion based and probably more like facts based or yeah, speculation analysis. Based. <laughs> yeah. So what are we analyzing this week? Remind me. Yes. So we are continuing on with our remaining relevant series. Last time we talked about um, long live in depth and about how that um, really showcased Taylor's anxiety regarding fame and staying famous. Um, This time we're going to take a close look at The Lucky One, which is a track on Red. It is. And The Lucky One, I'm going to be honest, isn't a song that ever struck me particularly hard when it came out. It's catchy. It's nice, but it didn't hit me the same way that some of the other songs on that album did. And even in the re-release, it didn't come back and hit me in the face like State of Grace did. Mm -hmm. That being said, now that we're kind of deep diving into it, I feel like I have just glossed over the significance of this song for way too long. I agree. I kind of had the same experience with the lucky one as well. It didn't stick out to me on the original album when it first came out. It still didn't stick out to me on Taylor's version until we took a closer look at it, kind of took the magnifying glass to this song. And now I feel like I can fully appreciate it now that I understand it better. I agree. And I think just like we did with long live, probably the best way to break this down is lyric by lyric, the way Taylor Swift intended. Exactly. A little preface before we jump right into it. I found this quote from Taylor when she was promoting the original Red back in 2012. And she kind of did little snippets talking about what each song meant to her. So this is what she had to say about the lucky one. The lucky one is a song that I wrote while I was in Australia. And it kind of talks about some of my fears through telling the story of other people I was inspired by. But more than their stories being told, I'm pretty much singing about what I'm scared of in that song. Ending up caught up in this whole thing and lonely and misunderstood and feeling like people think you're lucky when you're really not. So it kind of expresses my greatest fear of having this end up not being fun anymore, having it end up being a scary place. And some people do end up there. It's a story song and it's something that I'm really proud of because it goes to a place that I'm terrified of. Oh, I got gooseies. <laughs> <laughs> like up my up and down my body just now. Yes. I think it's really valuable to keep that in mind while we're going into these lyrics that this is Taylor being vulnerable with us in regards to her fears about fame. And to just tap into that for people listening at home, you can apply that same feeling, I think, to anything that happens in your life. Like when you start dating somebody, what if you go Mm -hmm. to that place that a lot of people go to, which is stuck in an unhappy marriage? Yeah. What if you start a job that you're excited about and then you end up hating it? It's the same concept. So if you need to tap into something primally and emotionally for you to understand where she's coming from, try to relate this to another part of your life. Exactly. And a, a one more bit of context before we jump in. This song is rumored to be about Kim Wilde. She's a British pop star and was the most charted British female solo act in the 80s. She ended up leaving 
um, the spotlight a little prematurely, according to critics, to become a landscape gardener. It is rumored that this song is referencing Kim because Taylor actually samples Kim's song Four Letter Word. And if you don't know Four Letter Word or Kim Wilde, the name doesn't stick out to you. She did sing Kids in America. Which was later semi covered by the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> Yes, I love them. <laughs> if you weren't going to bring them up, then I had to. Of course. <laughs> so. so without further ado, let's just jump into these lyrics. We have a little bit of background knowledge, so bear with me here. So uh, the lyrics start out with new to town with a made up name in the angel city chasing fortune and fame and the camera flashes make it look like a dream. There is a lot to talk about there. I think that out the gate, you know, new to town with a made up name, it's really mm -hmm. popular and common for people to move to Los Angeles and change mm -hmm. their name. That's the not a secret. City. And uh, LA is just where you go when you're trying to achieve fame. And a lot of people have stage names that are ready to go when they move there. So yeah, that's, it's not uncommon to completely reinvent yourself with a new name. Mm -hmm. um, Kim Wilde did it, Shania Twain did it, mm -hmm. and, and even some more modern artists you think like Halsey, Halsey did it. Exactly. So Eminem, and in the Angel City chasing fortune and fame, and the camera flashes make it look like a dream. Again, we're talking Los Angeles, everybody exactly. moving there specifically for that. Uh. And the, the phrase, make it look like a dream, it's everything that this person wanted. It's glamorous, dreamlike. And I think it's an interesting choice of words, make it look like a dream, not it is a dream or it feels like a dream. It looks like a dream on the outside, which is some foreshadowing to where the song is going. I agree. It's definitely a clear emphasis that this is not real. Yeah, it's not what it looks like on the outside. Agreed. So she continues with, you had it figured out since you were in school. Everybody loves pretty. Everybody loves cool. So overnight, you look like a 60s queen. And I feel like so many people grow up throughout middle school, high school years wishing they were famous. I know me included. I, I don't know what I'd be famous for. I'm not a strong singer, but I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a good singer. And I thought that it seemed so fun and it would solve so many of my problems. It would make me quote unquote popular, which was the goal in those early years. It's like the, the top tier level of being popular is being famous. And I think that's why so many young teenagers get sucked into things like that. I completely agree. And women are particularly targeted in this way of like sexist standards and mm -hmm. being held, being held to these really, really high societal yeah. expectations and standards that men aren't necessarily held to. So overnight you yes. look like a sixties queen. What kind of stuff did you go through so that you could put on this image physically, yeah. emotionally, mentally? Because everybody loves pretty. Everybody loves cool. 
And they always will. Uh, and the 60s queen reference too um, is rumored to reference Joni Mitchell, which was a big, um, she was a big Canadian American singer songwriter from the 70s, but her career started in the late 60s. So people say that that is kind of a call up to Joni Mitchell as well. Mm-hmm. And again, if you don't know who Joni Mitchell is, you probably do and don't know it. She sang the original version of Big Yellow Taxi. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? It paid paradise, put up a parking lot. Yes. Um, and then Taylor continues with another name goes up in lights like diamonds in the sky. They'll tell you now you're the lucky one. Yeah, they'll tell you now that you're the lucky one. But can you tell me now that you're the lucky one? So obviously the name going up in lights is someone else getting famous, someone else's name becoming recognized. And it's described as diamonds in the sky, which is a very glamorous and kind of euphoric simile there. It's meant to be a good thing. Do you think that that's a direct reference to diamonds by Rihanna? I don't know. Um... I guess I never really thought of that. What year did Diamonds come out? It came out in 2012 as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It wouldn't surprise me necessarily. It's also just a common phrase. But that song is all about like, you know, the positive aspects of being famous. So I'm wondering if that was just, you know, trying to show the flip side of the Diamonds, if you will. Right. I don't think it's shade. But <laughs> no. Just to clarify, and, I don't think it's And shade. I wonder too if both Rihanna and Taylor kind of used the, the same type of simile or metaphor. I don't think the idea of diamonds and fame going together is a Rihanna invention or a Taylor Swift invention. So it's also interesting that they just both used diamonds as the good part of fame, even That's- if Taylor wasn't directly influenced by Rihanna probably more likely but I like to assume that Taylor places right <laughs> same <laughs> I just run I just run on the assumption at any given time that Taylor Swift is smarter than I am so oh always I mean who knows what goes on in that brain because I, <laughs> I don't we're trying to know but we don't <laughs> <laughs> that's the point of this whole podcast <laughs> and so, then um the word choice of they'll tell you that you're the lucky one and not you feel like you're the lucky one or you are the lucky one People are telling you that you're supposed to feel lucky when you're in this position. So, I mean, you pay the price for being famous. It doesn't exactly. matter how much money you make if you are scrutinized for every little thing you do. And you're going to be because that's the price of fame. It just is. Yeah. When a lot of people are know who you are, more and more people will have opinions about what you should do, what you should say, how you should act. And yeah, there's a lot of good that comes with it, I suppose, like money. Taylor loves her, her fan base, the good parts of her fan base, and they uplift her. But at the same time, she does have a base of people who um, hate her and it can tear her down sometimes. And I don't think I could handle it. I don't think so either. No, one person tells me that they don't like me and I cry for two weeks. Like, yeah, I can't I never handle like millions of it. people. <laughs> never stop thinking about it. <laughs> But uh, we pick up in verse two. Um, She goes on to say, now it's big black cars in Riviera views and your lover in the foyer doesn't even know you and your secrets end up splashed on the news front page. 
So this part, she's really jumping into everything that actually comes with fame. It's not new and fancy anymore. We've already achieved it. Um, the, the person that she's singing about is already there. They have the drivers in the private cars, the beautiful vacations to the French Riviera and elsewhere. And with the flashy, exciting things come people wanting to be in your life simply because you're famous and it's really ingenuous. So your lover in the foyer doesn't even know you, but they want to date you because they'll be famous by dating you. Yeah. And sad. that's that's really a horrifying sad. thought to me about, you know, if it's on a lower scale, if you're in high school and people only want to be with you, if you're popular, mm-hmm. imagine taking that and expanding it thousands of times yeah. to fame. How do you know that anybody actually likes you for you? How do you know? You don't know. Exactly. You never <sighs> will know. And that's so uh, sad. And I mean, <sighs> it's the verse starts off, you know, with the big black cars and Riviera views kind of directly referencing the fact that you're driving around the big Chevy Suburbans being taken from place mm-hmm. to place. And then you're on the French Riviera from your penthouse looking out. All the good that things. Sounds so glamorous. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because your lover doesn't even know you. Your lover doesn't know you. Every secret that you're trying to hold on to is splashed on the front page. Because anyone can make money off of anything, knowing anything about your life. So you have to be very careful about who you trust. First of all, you don't even know if they're even in your corner for you, let alone, can you trust the people you do trust with your secrets? You know, I feel like whenever I bring up Kanye West or Kim Kardashian on this podcast, it's going to be in a negative light. But one of the smartest things that Kim Kardashian ever did was sending different photos of her newborn baby to her friends to see which one ended up in the tabloids to see which one of her friends was ratting her out. Genius. Yeah. Devastating that that is something you'd have to do. For because you, you you have to be careful about anyone you tell a secret to because it could become international news. Exactly. Could Ugh. you imagine? I know. And literally when I was 12 years old, I wanted to be famous, you know, like Miley Cyrus and Selena Gomez and Taylor Swift. And now that I've grown up more and seen how things went for them post Disney, I I could never imagine my life like that I'm so glad that I can go out in public looking like a scrub and I'm not on tabloids of people commenting on my body or how I dressed or what I'm doing what I'm buying so invasive yeah incredibly invasive it looks Mm. so shiny and so glamorous and especially for Taylor during this time in her life when she released the lucky one the whole secret splash in the news front page this is the time in her life where she's being accused of being a serial dater. So she's getting herself plastered everywhere. If she's like stands next to a guy who she's not even dating, she gets accused of. Dating them. And mm. which I've said a hundred times, I will say a hundred times more likely on this podcast. If I looked the way Taylor Swift looks and I had the talent that she has and the influence that she has, I would have been way more of a problem in yeah. serial dating. <laughs> like, like she was so gentle and so soft and I would have been snatching men down. Oh, I would have terror. been a straight up man eater. <laughs> you would have been the person that she wrote about in blank space. <laughs> like literally, I would have been an absolute monster and I would not have cared what anyone had to say. So it just, I think that's a testament to how like soft and good of a person Taylor Swift is that, you know, this Ugh. stuff strikes her the way it does when frankly, it doesn't have to. She's one of the most famous people exactly. in the world. Exactly. Anywho, she continues on. (laughs) She does. 
She says, and they'll tell you that you're lucky, but you're so confused because you don't feel pretty. You just feel used and all the young things line up to take your place. I feel like that one's that last line that all the young things line up to take your place Mm -hmm. calls directly back to what you and I were just talking about, about being 12 and wanting to be famous. Now we are two girls from the Midwest who are not living in Los (laughs) Angeles and don't have a drop of a nepotism in our bloods to get us there. But, but we wanted to be there. We wanted to be there. (laughs) So people, people filled those spots who could. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of ties in nicely with her fears that are exhibited in Long Live and the other songs we'll be talking about um, next time in this series, we'll be covering nothing new. I feel like this song in particular hits another aspect of fame anxiety, which is interesting, but the line, all the young things line up to take your place, hits the point that she knows that there are people waiting to replace her the moment that she falters and falls and that the fame is fleeting for her. And so she's always anticipating the end because she knows someone will replace her and it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things when she gets kicked out of the spotlight. I would agree with that. I think that that's probably one of the most horrifying things is thinking about all these people that are waiting to take your place. And it's not like they're doing it maliciously. They're not waiting to take your place because they hate you. They're not rooting for Taylor to be taken down so that there's room for them. Yeah. They're not, they're not waiting for your downfall. They're waiting for their uprising. Exactly. And then she continues to say, another name goes up in lights. You wonder if you'll make it out alive and they'll tell you now that you're the lucky one. Can you tell me now that you're the lucky one? See that? That's really sad to me because there's a lot of expectation for somebody who becomes famous to be, you should be grateful. You should be happy that you're here. And I think that she is, Mm -hmm. I think that she is grateful, but to completely disregard the negatives of it isn't fair. Exactly. And I love the mirroring here that we're starting to get into with another name goes up in lights line. So we started out, it's like diamonds in the sky. And now it's, you wonder if you'll make it out alive. A lot of famous people don't make it out alive, quite literally. Quite literally. 27 Club exists for a reason. Like, Yeah, there's a reason why a lot of famous people struggle with addiction and drug abuse because it isn't all fun and glamorous. There's a lot of lack of privacy, lack of genuine connections. And while they're famous and all these people love them, they feel very alone. It's sad to think about because you think about artists that, at least when I was growing up, that I felt must be bulletproof to criticism because the way that they portrayed themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I think like Amy Winehouse, uh, Corey Monteith, Corey Monteith's death hit me really hard because he was this happy character on Glee. And then all of a sudden he's dead. And it was yeah. really devastating. Yeah, because they're going to keep all of like the bad parts of their lives close to their chest because they will be literally splashed on the news front page, like Taylor says. And so when it all comes crumbling down, it's a shock to us, those of us on the outside who don't know the intricate details of their lives because they try their best to keep those things private. Yeah. mm, Yeah, it's just so sad. It is. So anyway, we get to the bridge where Taylor brings up herself. She says, 
It was a few years later, I showed up here and they still tell the legend of how you disappeared, how you took the money and your dignity and got the hell out. So she's referencing that she, once she became famous, she heard all these stories about these past stars, just like disappearing from fame, giving it all up for some peace and quiet. And at first, I don't think she fully understood it because her dream is to be famous. Why would somebody want to throw that away for like a normal life when she lived a normal life and now finally has the fame? Um, But saying how you took your money and your dignity and got the hell out, I think is really telling of the mindset here. I agree. I feel like a lot of the feeling that she is having at this moment is the, at some point I have to leave. I have to either die a hero or live long enough and live long enough to see myself become a villain. And that's really devastating. Joni Mitchell, who we referenced earlier, has Mm -hmm. called the industry a cesspool and said that it was subject to slave labor. And that was really early in the industry compared to social media did not exist. Yeah. Compared to where Taylor is in the industry. It's very, it's early. Yeah, it is. And she continues her bridge by going into, they say you bought a bunch of land somewhere, chose the Rose Garden over Madison Square. And it took some time, but I understand it now because now my name is up in lights, but I think you got it right. Let me tell you now you're the lucky one. I feel like this is a blatant (laughs) reference to Kim Wilde. I agree. Because we both know what happened to her after she stepped out of the spotlight. Yes, I mentioned earlier, she turned down the spotlight or stepped away from the spotlight, I guess, to become a landscape gardener. Quite literally, she chose the Rose Garden over performing concerts at Madison Square Garden. It's a very literal reference and it's a great one. And I think she's like won horticulture awards and stuff. Like she's a very successful (laughs) gardener, which is hilarious and excellent. And I absolutely love that for her. Um, Mm. But Taylor Swift sold out Madison Square Garden in 2009 in 60 seconds. One minute. Wild. At the time it was a record. I think that Justin Bieber ended up beating it. But- She's got ties that's, to the garden. That's still fast. <laughs> Very fast. <laughs> Whether or not she holds the record 60 seconds. It's not Gosh, much Can you time. imagine trying to get tickets to that? Panic. <laughs> Absolute panic. Uh, that's what we're <laughs> going to be experiencing on the next tour. So I hope you're ready. I'm not um, ready. Oh, God. But mm. yes, I can't imagine in the year 2009 fighting that hard. And, you know, Fearless had just come out. It was at its peak. I can't imagine. Yeah. But Gosh. chose the... Uh, Rose Garden over Madison Square, very blatant reference to Kim Wilde. And I think oh, definitely. I think this last couple parts of the lyrics does a really great job at showcasing that Taylor's finally understanding why someone may not want the fame having had experienced it already. So she's a few years into her career at this point. She thinks she's probably on the tail end, <laughs> like four albums in. She thinks she's not going to stay relevant for much longer. And she's finally understanding the benefits of stepping back and like having her retirement. And this part is kind of interesting to me because it makes me think of the lakes from folklore. Take me to the lakes where all the poets went to die. I don't belong and my beloved neither do you. Okay. So in the lakes, Taylor romanticizes the idea of running away from the fame and living out the rest of her life in peace and quiet with Joe, her muse, in the Lake District of England. 
and we'll do a deep dive of that song eventually at some point. It's my favorite on folklore. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one, but she just romanticizes the idea of just throwing it away, getting away from the hunters with cell phones as she calls them. And it just shows that even in modern times, because folklore came out in 2020, she's still kind of having this mindset of she can't wait to step away from the spotlight, but at the same time, she's nervous about losing the spotlight. As a fan of Taylor Swift, I will selfishly say that when she does decide to back away from the spotlight, it's going to hurt. Yes. Because I do find the art that she produces to be so personally fulfilling and universal. And it puts Mm -hmm. words to feelings that I didn't even realize that I had. Yes. She's been feeling this for over a decade. This feeling of she has this desire to retire and step away from it all. But also uh, this entire series is about her anxiety about making sure that she stays relevant and she can't have both. She can't stay at the forefront of relevancy and music and culture and also retire. So it's like two wolves she's got going on. I know. And I think it's so interesting how complex her anxiety regarding fame is because, you know, on one hand, she sees all this negativity that comes with it and can't wait to get away eventually and like daydreams about the point in her life where she can live a peaceful life. But on the other hand, she still sees and loves the positive aspects of it and is nervous about losing it. And to me, I think that she seems to want the ability to step out from the spotlight on her terms. And she's anxious about her time being cut short before she's ready to give it up because I think she's still enjoying it to its fullest and isn't quite ready to get there. When she makes the decision, whenever she decides that she wants to step out of the spotlight, at this point especially, a decade on from this song, I think that that decision will be hers to make. I don't think she's going to be forced out because in 2016, the world tried their damnedest to push her out of the spotlight. They tried so hard. They got real close, but she didn't falter. She came back and had the best-selling tour of her career and one of the best-selling tours in history. Like, Yeah, she sold out stadiums exclusively. It was the highest-grossing tour in U.S. history, and that was her quote-unquote flop era. Yeah. According to the haters. <laughs> so I, I think that she, I think that she is going to retire on her own terms when she chooses to. And at that point she will feel fulfilled. Her cup will be totally full and she won't feel pushed out. And I think that a lot of the women that this song vaguely references or mm-hmm. more directly references in some cases are women who have kind of chosen their time to step back. And she really idolizes that. That's Joni Mitchell. Cam Wilde, mm-hmm. Shania Twain in some ways. Yes. She loves Shania Twain. And I also know that she references uh, Britney Spears a little bit because she had her song Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. This song always made me think about Lucky by Britney Spears. It's so wild that all of these celebrities are telling us this over and over and over again but why do we still idolize fame so much I don't know they are all they are giving us the key now part of me feels like it's because they're they're already at the top of the platform they're millionaires they are successful right they're like you don't need this and that's easy to say from your multi-million dollar that home. is true I get that and it's true could you imagine not being able to go to the grocery store without being harassed so it's 
do you want to be rich and be harassed and never have a moment to yourself? Or do you want to live an okay financial life <laughs> and have privacy? <laughs> Again, that's why it kind of puts things in perspective for those of us who aren't famous, you know? It does. It helps make me feel better that my childhood dreams of being famous never were fulfilled. Exactly. Um, Joni Mitchell is a really great example of somebody who was able to do this with a lot of grace because she was so heavily in the spotlight. Yeah. And she personally pulled away and publicly called everything accessible. Kim Wilde too, by becoming a literal horticulturist. Yeah. Taylor Swift almost played Joni Mitchell in a biopic. I don't know if you knew that. I did she, not. She was slated to play her in a biopic and there were like promotional photos and stuff. And that oh, was like, so cool. that was squashed. It's kind of sad because reading about the biopic, Joni Mitchell herself cut out the idea of doing the biopic at all. She said, mm-hmm. and I quote, all you've got is a girl with high cheekbones about Taylor Swift. I know, which oh. must have just crushed Taylor. Um, yeah, because she already idolized her. <laughs> I know. But then, then went on to say that the source material would have been entirely sourced from gossip and that she was tired of her life being turned into gossip, which right. is again one of the downfalls. Which is totally famous. fair. But then Taylor Swift later in October 2012 said, I wish it was confirmed, but I've been reading scripts for five years and you don't know which ones are going to get greenlit and which ones aren't. So I can't talk about it until it's the real thing. So just because she was slated to does not mean it was greenlit. And it was a Joni Mitchell decision of being like, no, I literally left the industry. So leave me alone. (laughs) So that wraps up um, the lyrics here for the lucky one. And I think we had a lot to unpack here. But I kind of, before we wrapped up, I wanted to take a moment and talk about the tailoring title of the podcast and what that really means. And we originally came up with the title with intents of teaching others about Taylor. But at the same time, I feel like we, the more and more that we do this, we discover that we are learning so much ourselves when we do the research on these episodes and we are learning, we're tailoring, if you will. Absolutely. And I kind of, I wanted to ask you, Danny, what is something new you learned while researching the lucky one? I had never tied together the Rose Garden, Madison Square Garden lyric yeah, to a specific individual. I had always, you know, I picked up the metaphor about it being like, oh, you became a gardener instead of performing in big stadiums mm-hmm. and arenas and concert halls. I didn't know that was a direct callback to a real human being. So that was cool. Everything she does is <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> what about you? What about, what'd you learn? I didn't know that she sampled Kim Wilde's song and that it sounds so similar. That blew yeah. my mind. I was doing last minute research last night. And when I discovered it, I literally sat there with my mouth open. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know either. Um, Olivia told me this just this morning before we started recording. And I was like, well, I should go listen and see. And by God, yeah, it's it's the exact same. I mean, if I heard it, I would recognize it. I'd be like, where do I know this song? Exactly. And you can't put your finger on it. So that's something new that I learned. And I just love learning more about Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. I I love learning more about Taylor. I love that. Again, you're right. This was to educate other people when I'm learning so much myself. Yeah. And I'm having a really good time doing it. And I, I hope love it. Are as well. 
wait, wait. Oh my God. I know I always do this every single episode. I feel like something comes to me right before we cut off. The lucky one is track 13. 13 is Taylor's lucky number. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Wow. Yes, you do. Olivia totally on purpose. Last minute uh, girly here. Um, yeah, no, that's him. definitely on purpose. <laughs> Although it's placement on the track list, but it's, what's it between? It's between like sad, sad, beautiful, tragic, and everything has changed, I think. Uh, um, that's a sad line of songs. Not that everything no. has changed is particularly sad, but that's a, that's a rough run. This album messes me yes. up every time. It's a rough album. It's the heartbreak album. <laughs> oh, Olivia, do we want to get them a sneak peek of what they're going to hear next week? Yes. <laughs> Both Olivia and I were not the biggest fans during the reputation era. Or as <laughs> Olivia called it earlier, the flop era. Oh, I have so many regrets. I Listen, I will grovel. I have so many regrets. <laughs> Yeah, same. I, if I could go back in time, I have like one regret in my life, maybe two. And that is one of them. So mm. we are going to talk about our personal Taylor Swift fan journeys, because you might be wondering if reputation came get out here. Yeah. If reputation <laughs> came out five years ago and now we have a Taylor Swift podcast. What the hell happened? Exactly. <laughs> the people I talked to five years ago are probably like, why is Olivia hosting a Taylor Swift podcast when she did not like Taylor Swift. <laughs> People that I went to high school with are probably like, because I was, I was a Harry Styles girly. So I, there, there's a lot to break down, but it's also the two-year anniversary of us knowing each other. It is. Friends. So it'll be the perfect little friend anniversary episode for us to talk about our personal journeys and how we found each other and how we sort of flourish as Taylor Swift fans together. I'm really excited about it and I'm probably going to cry like a little baby. So I of can't course, wait. Naturally. <laughs> uh, until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Taylorning Podcast. We will be doing giveaways once we get enough followers and we love to see you all on there commenting and exactly. liking. Let us know what you think about the episodes. You can send us a DM, comment on our photos. You can also email us. Our email is taylearningpodcast at gmail.com if you're more comfortable doing that. We love to get feedback. Any ideas you have for any future episodes, we are definitely interested. For now, for this week... And for Tay Learning Podcast, I'm Danny. And I'm Olivia. We'll see you next time. Cause